Welcome to Oz Property Investors, where your smart, no BS friends who tell you the most interesting stuff going on in property. Join your host, Jeff Miles, former mortgage broker and property developer, alongside Joe Tucker, Director of Property Principles Buyers Agency, as they interview some of Australia's top property experts and commentators, so we can all become better property investors together. And we're live on Oz Property Investor. We bring the big names and we have the big fun. And what what's that in the back? Oh, just is that a I know, I've got distracted by his artwork. How you going anyway, Andrew? What's what's happening? Good mate, good mate. Nothing much. I actually tell you the truth, quite a lot. I got uh, deals that I'm you know working on. Was in Coffs Harbor on Monday uh, for Ooh, just the day. The big that banana. was uh, yeah, love, love that place. It's Jeez. uh it's a really really good market for commercial property and also residential property. So. Uh, Flew down for the day um, and just to inspect a property um, on our Rex uh, Air, which was a, a semi-light plane. I'd never been on a semi-light plane before with the propellers. Um, was my was like, more like yeah. the, um, the pilot or co-pilot or something? You could basically see the pilot from where you were sitting. It's like a 40 plane, a 40 seat plane. So oh, like wow. it's, it's basically a light aircraft um, and that's why it was so cheap. <laughs> You know? I'll take it. Was it scary? Was it feel like you're going no, skydiving? No, well, well, when I because I didn't realize it was a light aircraft when I actually booked the flight. So mm. I got to the terminal ready to board, and I'm expecting to board a seven four seven. You know, the the usual walking down a plank. You know, right up to yeah. the air pl- airplane, and they say, "Oh no, get onto this bus." And I'm like, "That's strange, but not anything to really raise an eyebrow about." And then yeah. they drove us to this light aircraft. And then I got a little, I was like, wow, this is actually like scaring me a little bit. But then as soon as I got on the plane, it was fine. Like, I'm not scared of flying. I'm not scared of heights. I've actually been, I've, I've actually done flight lessons before in a Cessna. Um, so it was, it was fun, real fun. But there was barely have any you, people have on the you plane. Flown, have you flown into the side of a mountain, a place called Lukla? In, in Nepal, that's where you got to, if you go and do an Everest or Everest base camp, you fly, literally, it was one of the most dangerous top 10, I don't know if it still is, but when I did it, I think it, it was just be. insane. And you're in this small little thing, small plane. So anyway, yeah, not, well. not I, I didn't want to one-up you, but it sounds like I did. So my For did. a while, I yeah. wanted to be a pilot, um, but it was way too late because realistically, it costs a lot of money to get your license. Um, and I got onto it too late. Um, but, you know, well, you know, it is dangerous in terms of you always hear of a fixed wing aircraft um, coming down. You don't usually hear of a chopper coming down, but a fixed wing aircraft does have more frequent accidents. And I have kids, so it's just not worth it. There you go. Joe, how are you going on that note, on that uh, morbid note? How are, we, how are we tracking today? Um, I'm, all, I'm all right. I am all right. Um, Andrew Bean is one of the men that I always listen to when it comes to commercial property. But now he's he's walking into the world. He's walking into my world in a little bit. I am very much value add. I want to try and juice as much equity out of this deal as possible. But um, tonight's going to be about how you do that for commercial property. And what was the number? I need to, I need to find that number because I wrote it down because it sounded so ridiculous. You said like, how do we invest $15,000 to get like $2 million or, or something absurd, <laughs> Andrew? What? No, you asked me a question today on Facebook and you said, what's like the, the most amount of money to get like back? And you usually have like 2 to $3 for every dollar you put in. But with commercial property, you can add value with a stroke of a pen if you just know how to do it and the, the knowledge to be able to find the deal. So it's having the knowledge and having the understanding 
on how to actually add value to it. And with a stroke of a pen, you can add value literally like 250K value with a stroke of a pen. Oh, okay. That's why I'm excited. I want to, <laughs> I want one of those pens. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a special pen. It's just, you know, this could do it. This could do it. But uh, it's the, the, the knowledge and the mindset and the vision to be able to find it and understanding. If you know the data and you understand the market you're going into, then identifying the property is the, the main thing. And, and that is yeah. where the value is added. Love it. Jeff, how are you, mate? I'm I'm feeling good, man. Exciting times. Just uh, yeah, feel feel uh, it's already uh, inflation was six point three percent today, so it's continuing to come down. We're going to be oh, deflationary no. before you know it. No, well, deflationary is negative, negative, <laughs> but it is it is disinflationary is is the correct term, I believe. So yeah, just RBA pause again next Tuesday, and away we go. So you think that'll uh, happen? They'll go sideways again? Yeah, yeah, potentially. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, but this session is going to be amazing. So we, how good was that poster? Like it was, it was fantastic. Like we, we got there with that with the King Kong and building massive buildings and adding ex- excessive value on in commercial deals. So we're going to be talking about that and and many other things. Just just lots of little Easter eggs in this session. So listen the whole way through because you will want to understand. Well, one of the things that Joe said about how to add. Two million dollars with fifteen thousand dollars worth of thing. That's insane. I don't think that I was it. But it actually, like in theoretically, it is possible. Theoretically, but I doubt it. But you know, in in terms of like calculation, it could be possible. Broke yeah. you build us up and you broke us down. Like you told us, <laughs> you told us about what hey, happened. Two fifty, two hundred fifty k is pretty good for no money in. Like seriously, <laughs> that's a good day's work. Yeah, we're going to be talking about as, as well how to actually sort of decide where to where to look for your next commercial deal as well. So that's going to be exciting because we we talk about it in, in Resi a little bit, but we don't um, unpack it a lot in commercial. So let's but let's get into quote of the week. So before we do that, any questions, comments, drop them down below. We love the likes as well on YouTube and all that sort of good thing. So what's your quote hmm. of the week, uh, young Andrew? What are we talking? Mate, my quote is winning is great. But failure is a better teacher. Is that Grant Cardone? No, it's not Grant Cardone. I'm not sure who said it, but I felt like that was, uh, you know, relevant in property because in property, you actually lose more deals than you get. So if you want to just get one deal, there's a number. And Joe's shake is he's nodding his head going, you're damn right. We lose more deals. Um, you know, there's a number that you need to put out of offers to get one deal. So that might be 20 offers to get one. It might be 100 offers to get one. Um, but you need, there is a theoretical number that you need to actually make offers on a property to just transact one deal. And that one deal could be life-changing. And it's exactly the same as running numbers on a property. So to get good at running numbers on a property, you need to run numbers on a property hundreds and hundreds of times to be able to be confident to the, when you actually find that deal, that it is the right deal. Like, so it's just property is a numbers game and it's a lot like baseball. I used to be a semi-professional baseball player. And if you fail seven times out of 10 in baseball as a hitter, you are a hall of famer. Seven times you fail. Well, no, that's not Babe Ruth. But in, in general, seven times, if you're batting 300 in baseball, you are a hall of famer for your career. That's a, that's a massive batting average. Like that's a good batting wow. average. Good old, good Unreal. old baseball. I mean, they they roided up in the nineties. So I mean, I don't know. That's anyway. Jose can say oh, we'll go. Yeah, bit of a yeah, buddy Mark, Mark McGuire, I think it was Mark McGuire. Yeah, yeah, 
It's a good time. Good times. Yeah. Get on the gear. But yeah, that, that's a, that's an interesting one, isn't it? I like it. All about, all about learning, right? Pays dividends. Great, but learning. Yeah, right, let's edit that going? out. Oh wait, we're live. <laughs> Jeff, what is your pod, what is your quote of the week, mate? <laughs> something about how to yeah, something with Lance Lance Armstrong. Um, no, so my mind is money is a terrible master, but an excellent servant, which is PT Barnum. I don't know. PT Barnum sounded familiar to me when I looked this up. He was a. What does it mean? He was, yeah, he was like a show, a showman, and also a politician in in early early days America. So, but I think that's important mm. because we talk about adding value, but like money, money is great to have. But if the only reason you're adding value is for money's sake, I think that's potentially for the wrong reason. So, I think you need to, I suppose, have that kind of mindset and why you're actually have a bigger why behind it, which is which is hopefully the the finer things like whether that be family traveling, um, giving back, contributing going all wax lyrical here, but that's my quote of the week. What's your show? Oh, I like it. Nice little quote, mate. My my quote of the week, very well thought through, just like every other week. Um, but it is by Muhammad <laughs> Ali, the, the butterfly, <laughs> the bee. Um, his is, don't count the days, make the days count. Um, I, I think about that a lot about when we're when we're doing when we're doing deals because like the, the, there is literally two minute phone call that is the deal itself, right? Everything else, everything else up to then, but you have to show up and be ready at that, at that point in time and actually make it happen. So you've got to, yeah, make the days count. Don't count them. Just, just work hard, get it done and show up when you need to show up. Um, that's my quote of the week, but I am excited. Andrew Bean was on our show a couple of months ago. Was it six months or almost a year ago now? God, a year ago, I don't know. Yeah. Probably nine months ago. Have a listen, I think it was in about Have August. a listen to that episode. That was really, really good. It was called Cracking the Commercial Code with Andrew Bean. Um, but uh, this session is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a little bit more exotic, a little bit more exciting. So anyone that is thinking about commercial property, let's let's dive right in. Um, I feel like, Jeff, I've stolen your thunder here. No, no you haven't at all. let's go to our favorite commercial property sponsor steve polisi and then we'll jump straight into this commercial crowd don't tell me he's the only one the amazing thing with commercial property investing is that in most cases it's cash flow positive from day one which means that you can drive those profits towards paying down the debt there are instances with commercial property investing where you can actually have the property pay itself off over 10 years which is absolutely crazy with commercial property, you get massive net yield. So you can expect anywhere between 6 to 10%. And as we've seen in the current boom, these properties not only provide large cash flow, they do certainly grow wildly in value too. Now, with big rewards comes some risk. And this is why you should de-risk your investment as much as possible. And the way you do that is with expert due diligence. And this is why we highly recommend people hire professionals to help you along in your investing journey. Steve Polisi of Polisi Property is one such expert. Being a chartered mechanical and structural engineer in a past life, Steve draws on his analytical and mathematical skills to do that expert due diligence for you. With six years' experience in the space, Steve has over 1,200 property transactions on his belt. He's the guy you want in your corner, crunching the numbers and finding the best properties in the best locations, along with ensuring that you avoid the mistakes. Steve has actually even written the book on commercial property investing in Australia. And not only is it a bestseller, I believe it to be the most comprehensive in commercial property investing on the market today. 
He's been generous enough to give us a massive discount for our audience of 50%. So use the code OZPROP, click the link below, get a copy today and start learning and getting on your commercial property investing journey. And he, he's even um, he's even got a what would Steve do thing going. So if you want to ask... If you want to ask young Steve a question, drop drop it in there. Oh, Joe's Joe's away. I need to remove him. So, Andrew, who is the person in front? Joe's having technical difficulties, so I hear. But if you're listening to the podcast, you won't know that. But you, who is the person in front of us today? I was reading up about you today, and you are you've created and and hosts Australia's number one commercial property podcast, which is the commercial property show. You founded CP, which is commercial property data, because acronyms need to be expanded. Uh, the first Aussie um, commercial property data platform to break down markets. And then we're going to be talking a lot about that as well. Um, interestingly, or not interesting, or it is interesting, but I think more importantly as well, you talk a little bit about you being a dad of two and you also love, you are a CrossFit junkie. I remember that photo of you and, you and Steve sent for, I think you gave Steve a big run for his money. And you also, you're, you're a specialist. I'd consider you a specialist in self-storage as well, but you, you're, you're really, I suppose, continuously evolving and curious about how to add value in commercial property and other people's commercial property investing. So what did I miss? Yeah, well, I was just like everyone else. Like I started with just my property journey going for residential property. Um, And then like I just realized that uh, residential property for, for me and what I wanted to do um, there was uh, a better asset class that gave me higher returns and that was commercial property. So I basically wanted to learn more about commercial property. Um, so I started a podcast interviewing um, professional uh, property investors um, basically to not only um, learn but be able to share it as well because you know, as everyone listening to this knows that property is like real estate is the best asset um, you know, in, in my mind, real estate has made more millionaires than any other asset. There's no other asset that's safer. Um, you know, you can look at a shares and you can, you can, you can debate with me all day long, but there's absolutely no way uh, a real estate asset will ever go to zero, but a share price can go to zero from, you know, a Donald, Donald Trump tweet, you know? So like, that's the thing is like property is the mainstay for everything that I do. Um, and further to that, being that no, not financial advice thing in the jiggy that Joe <laughs> this is not financial advice. This no, is no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't go on. But don't. further to that, with commercial property, um, drilling down further to self storage, self storage actually is a, a business in a real estate asset, so it has high business returns in a real estate asset, and it's all about adding value to that asset. So, the reason that I personally like self-storage and that's what I'm doing um, is because self-storage has more ways to add value to it, guaranteed ways to add value to it and to the business. And that actually results in the real estate um, creating huge value. Um, so that's particularly why I've drilled down again to self-storage. But I do like can, can a I, lot of different assets. Can I just Fred on? You said you're talking about guaranteed sort of guaranteed. The word guaranteed concerns me in property because what 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 does that what does that sort of look like? Like what? How do guarantee you... for what? When did I say it? Well, you said something about get, um, commercial property is a way to guarantee or something. I'm like, how does that how does that work? Like just just run me through that. 
quickly. Well, uh, I'm not exactly sure what you're referring to, but in terms of like adding value to the income of the property, that guarantees the value will change. That's okay. 100%. Like it's calculated. It's it's how commercial property is valued, but I don't want to give away too much before we actually get into the uh, the whole oh. whole live live show. It's a good but, thing um... Joe's having technical difficulties, otherwise <laughs> he, he would have he would have been like, no, no, tell us now, tell us now. But yeah, okay, so go on. What are we? What, what where are we going tonight, Andrew? I think you, you've 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 got you've prepared something previously. So all right, you, no worries. I'll present my screen. Yeah, is that where I don't I don't know. I feel like I've jumped in the gun here, but. Do, do, do. Here we go. We've got the. All right, the can you see my screen? screen? Yeah, yep, yep. I can see it. But you, I think you need to probably show get the get the watch call get the, the get the slide share. I am sharing the slides. Ah, okay. So what we see now is I, I we see the streamyard. So you uh, you need to let me just talk you through this. So you probably got it. Have you got two screens? Have you got? No, I don't have two screens, just one maybe, screen. Maybe maybe minimize this and it'll show just be if you minimize this it should show your your slideshow, I'd say. Okay, hang on a second. Okay. Should we Is that it? We, we, no, no. I think what you might have done is you might have I'm just trying to think. When you shared I'm just trying to see. Joe would be able to talk you through this, but there you go. You might need to unshare and reshare. Joe, is, is he back? He is back. Oh, sorry, gents. I had some technical issues. We are having technical issue day today, uh, but I am back. Um, I'm well, trying, trying to share this the slideshow. So how do you, how do you well, actually? If you just if you just hit present and then share screen and then it will yeah. share your your you need to share you need to go to entire screen rather than Chrome tab or window. You need to click entire screen and then we'll see what you see. But right, right now. It, it just it says share screen. And then I go to our entire screen. Entire yep. screen. Should work. All right. And then we'll see exactly. Yep. There we here go. We go. Now we can we're here. add value. Yep. Now we're in Canva. Now we're present. All right. Yep. Ooh. Canva. I'm a Canva guy. Here we go. All right, so how to add value to commercial property? It's the age-old question that really hasn't been, you know, told for a very, very long time. So it's really the thing that makes the difference between a great investment to an absolutely like home run investment. So we'll jump right in. So what's so special about commercial property? Well, I mean, it's just a real estate asset, isn't it? Like it's, you know, it's bricks and mortar, sheet metal and concrete. Um, but if you actually thought that, you'd be wrong. So commercial property is actually a lifestyle asset. The way that commercial property can be put together what? is it actually pays for you to own it. So it pays itself off and it also pays you to own it. So it's very, very easy for a commercial property to be returning 60 to 100,000, right? So it's one of those things that, you could basically retire on one commercial deal if you get it right. And that's particularly why I like commercial property is because I can use it as a tool to fund my lifestyle as soon as possible. Um, so the real reason why I got into commercial property or I started chasing commercial property, I had a, a bit of a realization. So 
probably back in like 216, 215, I was at a uh, event um, for one of the well-known buyers agents. I won't say who they are. Um, but they're talking to me about, they're, they're presenting their, their opportunity, their, the way that they invest. And the way that they did that or the way that they were explaining that was that in the first year, you'll buy one property and in the second year, you'll buy another property. And this would keep on going for 16 years, right? So you end up buying eight properties in total. And then after 16 years, you have almost seen two cycles. So in theory speculating that you're going to have double the amount like capital growth, triple, it's going to be worth four times as much, whatever. So the first four properties that you bought, you would sell down and then pay off all of the mortgage for the second four properties. So you guys following with me? Oh, so you're saying, um, if, if, if I understand correctly, you would you would have basically two portfolios, one that you'd sort of keep and, and then you'd sell some to pay down the debt. Yep. Is that where you're going? Yeah. So over a 16-year period, you're buying eight properties. Every two years, you're buying, you're, buying one, you're buying one property. So after that 16 years, you have eight properties in total. And you, like after time, you keep on refinancing um, the, the first initial ones to fund the, the other ones, the later ones. And then the, when, once you get to year 16, you pay down, you sell the first four to pay down the last four and you live off that passive income. So it takes you 16 years to get a theoretical like, you know, 100K passive income. So that's like $25,000 per, per property or, or whatever it was. So I'm literally like, because I was, I was always about residential property and I love residential property. I love any property. But I decided then and there that if I have to wait 16 years to try and get cash flow, why don't I just try and get cash flow straight away? Because I want to use property to be able to retire myself from my desk job that I don't like. And this is not something for everyone because if you have a great job that's really high paying and you love that job, then buying negatively geared property might be great for you. But for me and what I wanted to do with property, I wanted that to fund my lifestyle and be able to keep growing the portfolio. So putting myself in a negative position is actually a very, very bad idea. So can I ask you two um, common objections to that sort of that uh, theory about commercial property? You might, you might be answering it in future, but can I ask it now? Sure, ask away. Okay, so the and, and you've probably heard this before. It's all very cliched, but commercial property requires higher deposits people that's the thing that people that are pro resi they say oh you need at least a 30 percent deposit you need a well yeah usually 30 percent. sometimes you can get, get away with 20 but let's say minimum 20 percent and very often 30 percent so then the, the question is how do you fund that purchase is is the objection the other the other one is i don't know what the other one is it was let's answer know. that one <laughs> yeah i don't know Let's pull a rabbit out of the hat here, Andrew. How are you going to get to so, that one? So you're exactly right. Um, there's no denying it. Commercial property has a larger barrier to entry. There's yep. no one's going to pull any punches on that because it's absolutely true. Um, mm. But you just got to find a way. So whether or not you buy one or two resi properties, wait for that to um, get some appreciation and, and go into it that way. Um, that's a very, very common way to get into commercial property. But what people tend to think is commercial property should be an end game. Where if it cash flows and pays for you to own it, 
why can't it be closer to a front game rather than an end game? Because like literally like a commercial tenant is a very, very good tenant to have in terms of they don't like, they're not going to call you when something breaks. The lease could be, you know, three, two, three, five years. They're very, very um, committed to having a very, very good um, property and keeping it up and running for their particular business. So yeah. there's a lot less headaches. Um, and I'm not saying this is easy because it's, it's not. I'm telling you right now, it's not bloody easy. Um, yeah. I'm just trying to open everyone's <laughs> mind. And, you know, this is not for everyone. I'm not trying to change your mind. I'm just telling you my mind and why I actually have chosen to, to, to go down this path. So yeah. one question I've got is, is how much more complex is, is commercial property? compared to to residential because Look, everyone knows commercial pro- uh, residential they live in it right they have yeah. everyone owns one they rent it they uh, they understand it but commercial property is a little bit more it's a little bit farther to grasp but that's i, I think that's half the reason why people are not interested in commercial properties because they just they're just like oh well that's too far away from my mind i've never rented one or gone to one i've gone into them but um but yeah i'd probably say 80 percent joe because the things we don't understand we often just steer away from because it's Mm -hmm. it's like a it's a a primal instinct to not primal that's a yeah that's a weird kind of way to put it you know i mean like it's a to say oh look if i don't understand something if i'm going to get eaten by that tiger over there so i'm going to stick to something (laughs) i know and and i trust but yeah go on answer the question tell you the truth it's a false belief that commercial property is actually harder than residential property it's actually easier 100% 100% easier because I can calculate it easier. to the dollar. 100%. I can calculate it to the dollar, the value. So it comes from a different lens, yes. But as soon as you understand the calculations and the way that it's valued, and you're going to understand that exactly in three slides, um, you know, you're going to realize that you know, commercial property isn't that hard. It's just something that's been built up in your mind um, that makes you feel that it's harder. But because you, you're used to living in a, res, a residential property, um, but if can we throw an objection at you? Another objection? Sure. Hang on. I just want to finish this down. thought. Hang on. I just want to finish this thought. So, okay. if you're if you're looking at a residential property and a commercial property in the same hands, um, it's a lot dif- more difficult to understand and calculate the exact value of that residential property because there's so many different factors at play. Like people just want it more. They have more money than you. Um, you know, there's heartstrings. They fall in love with the property. Um, but commercial property is all done on a calculation. Like you can literally calculate to the T what the property value is. And you don't fall in love with a warehouse. You're only doing it for a financial benefit. So in my mind, that makes it easier to buy and sell commercial property because you can calculate exactly to the T how much it's worth. And there's no speculation. There's nothing like that. Um, what was your, what was your question, Joe? Oh, it was me. Uh, I, I just said, Roger. what happens when biz goes down? Well, the business goes down tenants wants out with a four, you still on the, still on the lease. Thanks Ross. Love your work, by the way. Yeah, that can happen. It definitely can happen. But, you know, residential properties can go vacant too. But if you're buying the right property in the right location, um, you know, a lot of industrial property now have waiting lists in areas. Like industrial property has never had better fundamentals and tighter vacancy in Australia than it does today. 
Um, so like if you're buying the right property, yes, there are sectors of commercial property and they're different. So a uh, retail sector is different to an office sector, is different to an industrial sector, is different to specialty assets. So yes, there are some assets that have prolonged vacancy, uh, especially if you get the location wrong and the sector wrong. But right now I'm telling you, Industrial property has never, ever been a better asset to buy that is safer. You have waiting lists and you can, you can reference this to Steve. He'll back me up 100%. There are waiting lists with agents to get into these properties. Um, so if there's waiting a waiting list... commercial list, properties. Industrial warehouse, yeah. 100%. Because in Australia, overall, industrial property is undersupplied. Because if you're looking at it from a council perspective... They don't want to have uh, large industrial land um, rezoned for industry to come in. Um, there yeah. are parts of Australia that are more industrial, like Newcastle is quite industrial. There's a lot of big industrial, um, older factories and things like that there. But in terms of a council, the dominant um, idea is to bring residents in and make it great for the residents. But they still need that industrial zoning to service people. So that, that there's a scarcity that's built into industrial property, um, which is really, really great for, you know, investors going forward today. Yeah, super interesting. That's such a great point because at the, at the core of it, uh, residential real estate is the, the balance of supply and demand. But when you talk about industrial, there's only an industrial estate that exists. The rest is residential surrounding it. They can't build any more industrial so yeah, that's right. The same rules would apply. That's right. So Stevie and I did a top ten list um, last week. And what if they for... change the zoning though? Can I ask? They what can if change, they change the zoning, the but if you're already zoned uh, residential yeah. and there are houses there, and you're baked in like supply, like in, and then there's yeah. demand there from the residential properties, it's very very hard to to rezone it. You have to go outside of the area. So what I was saying was Stevie and I did a top ten list um, the other week. And we didn't actually do this purposely, but I think it was eight out of nine out of the 10 areas were actually coastal. So the best industrial mm. areas are actually coastal. And on one side, there's beach and water. You can't go that way. So you have to go back and the rest is residential property. So you've got baked in like supply issues there, which is great for being a, an industrial property investor. So what okay. is is that what drew you to Coffs Harbour, like that fundamental or are there other fundamentals? Coffs Harbour is one of the best markets um, for tightness, Ooh. like for like low vacancies in Australia. It was actually the, the second best market um, in Australia for, for vacancy for industrial property. And we were only doing industrial property. We weren't doing all the sectors, um, but just wow. opportunity there. So I like areas... Um, that are away from capital cities, so you get higher yields and less demand from or less like um, attention from most investors. So um, I've got a, a self-storage project, um, a client project in Foster. Um, the client has two pro, uh, facilities there that I'm helping them um, in, improve the facility, the business, and make it all you know really automated and things like that, putting in pin pads and gates and surveillance and bringing them onto a um, self-storage management system. So it's been a really, really great project. Um, and I drove up to Foster and Foster has absolutely no industrial property for rent. So like mm. if you're going into that market, 
and you're buying an industrial property there and there's no other property for rent, is that safer than going into a capital market or a capital city market where there's always lots of like supply, but there's always lots of demand, but the supply and demand ratio is way looser than a Whoa. supply and demand ratio in a, in a smaller market. So that's what you kind of have to look at is the supply and demand ratio in, in the right, you know, for what you want to do with your investment. How um over how long do you track that demand and supply ratio though? Because how long has it been like that for? Well, CP data is I've been collecting about four four thousand data points on, you know, all commercial markets in Australia for about two and a half years. So there's trending lines that you can see in CP data. And that's basically markets that have um, 20,000 in population or more that we track in CP data. So it's not every, every, every single market in, in, in Australia, but if you have 20,000 in population, then more than likely we track it in CP data. So it's a, a 12 month um, graph that is always displayed in CP data that's rolling. Um, and, you know, you can, the, the, the data tells you, like the data doesn't lie. Like it's just, it just is. Like there's no manipulation. It's just the data is what it is. Um, whether it's good or bad, we post it. So, what, what just... about what about boots? I mean, to to Joe, young young Joe, what about boots it's on the ground? Like sort of, I mean, we're jumping all over the place here. I, I like it, but yeah, yeah how, that's what actually, sort of stuff when when a... you're visiting a location because it sounds like you do. What what kind of checks and balances do you do you do in a, a, as a, from a boots on ground perspective in certain location in, in locations you're buying? Joe. No, no, he's not no, talking no, to me. No, sorry, for commercial property. <laughs> he's talking to you. That's, that's, oh, you're sorry, talking like, to me. Sorry, yeah, I thought you were talking about boots on the ground a lot. What boots on the ground? It sounds like you're doing that. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like you're going, particularly with self-storage, because this is a self-storage deal that I'm looking at. You know, you're looking for, you know, traffic flow on different times of the day. You're looking at like what's actually happening in the area because a Google walk, like what you would usually do is you do a Google map walkthrough first to understand the area, but then doing actually being in the car and driving through it is totally different. So when I was in Coffs Harbour on Monday, I'm seeing residential development here, there, you know, it's going crazy. There's things happening. I'm at like uh, one of the really, because in Coffs Harbour, there's these beautiful beaches, like little beach towns everywhere. So I sat down and had a, a, a lunch at a cafe and it was buzzing, absolutely buzzing. And I said to the, um, the, the lady, like, is it usually this busy? And she's like, actually, it's pretty quiet today. And like, it was pumping like for, you know, like there was at least 40 patrons like having lunch at the time. And I said, are these people, because there was a caravan park that was closed. This is, Coffs Harbour is very, um, good for like people coming and having a holiday. So there is obviously some um, touristy kind of you know aspect to it. And she said, no, it's probably like 50% tourists and 50% locals. Like we're always really mm. pumping. And this today was actually quiet. And like also from like a lifestyle perspective, I really like areas now that I could see myself living in. So if I want to live there, there's chances are that other people want to live there. So if more people want to live there, because of the working from home movement, which we also track in CP data, um, they're more likely that commercial properties and businesses in that area are going to get a boost. So that's including residential. Mm. Like residential is really the key to commercial property and commercial property markets or assets tailwind behind residential. If there's no residential, 
then commercial markets don't work. You can't just throw it out. You can't, you yes. can't, it's, it's just like riding in the tailwind. Like if, you know, if you're a cyclist riding in the, the slipstream or whatever they call it, that's what commercial property does. Um, so you know, that's, that's interesting because like uh, that it's a hundred percent true. I mean, you run a data company and data only gets you so far, but it's getting boots on the yeah. ground that allows you to understand like how many people are actually going up to the shops. Are the shops shutting down? Like, are there, is there no one available? So yeah. from a commercial standpoint, do you look out for, cause you, you were saying there was a development there and a development there. Is that a good signal for how commercial property is doing? What the residential development space is doing? Because all of a sudden there's, one place getting knocked down, put into three and then three and then another three. And then yeah. all of a sudden there's a lot more people there. Um, is that what you're kind of looking out for? Like- oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I want to see population yeah. growth in the market. So not only, and population doesn't necessarily always make commercial property better, but it's a good thing to have. I would rather have it than not. Um, jobs in the area is also a big thing as well. So in CP data, we track jobs for all markets as well. Cause you know what happened in Perth when the mining boom, um, you know, markets there went crazy. Um, and that was because there was so much demand from people being there because of the jobs that were available there. But when the mines broke, like shut down, the whole thing turned around and, and, and Perth was stagnant for years. Um, so jobs is a very, very good indicator. And also another thing to look for is also infrastructure. And I'm sure people know that. Um, but we also, Steve and I also touched on infrastructure as well. And Steve went through a whole, um, list of infrastructure in all different areas around Australia. Um, but these are all things that are just ticks. Like there's no one metric that you can Mm. say because of this, this is going to happen. It has to be a body of data, of information, of boots in the ground to really understand the market. No one metric is the be all and end all, um, and that's just that's just how it is. Brown, I want I want to take one step back because we've, we've I feel like we've somewhat put the horse the horse for Paul McCarthy. Step back. Yeah, take a step back. Um, because let's just say I'm interested in commercial, and I guess so great. I've been, how do I actually know where I should be looking before I even well, kind of? That's that's where CP data comes in. So it's really a tool to give you an idea of what location is a good location for you and the metrics that you want to look for. Um, and then you can kind of um, nail it down from there. So the way that I, like I built CP data for myself to be able to understand markets quickly. So the problem that I had was that I would find a property that looked good fundamentally like at the actual property like level. So it had good return. It had a good tenant. It had a good site, like things I could do with it. Mm. But realistically, then the next day, two, three days a week was me researching the market to make sure the market fundamentals were good because you can find a great asset in a shitty market, but the market is really what makes you. Whether it's a good market or a bad market, the market will always win. So what's, what are some indications? Let's say we don't, we don't have access to CP data and obviously... You can get a subscription, but let's say we, we, we decided against that for whatever reason. Um, what are some of the things we can look at for ourselves for some good indicators? To, so to I would go onto all the listing portals and look what's for lease. So that's a really good indicator of what's possible in the market. Um, so there's nothing for lease for the type of property that you're looking for. Um, that's great. And you can actually look at historically what's been leased as well. So you could find out what 
has been leased in the market um, and you could find out what it's been leased for so you can figure out the rate per square meter as well. Um, the listing portals are actually a very untapped resource and this is where the data comes from for CP data is all the listing portals. Um, so I'm tapping into that data and putting it, collecting the data every single month, um, literally like 4,000 data points, putting it into what, a... What, what data are you pulling from from the listing website? What, what, could, what data could I use from the, the listing portal as a, as a, you know, not no one that knows how to code? Um, what would I be pulling out? Like, what would I be... Well, you don't need to know how to code. You just need to understand how many properties are for sale, how many are for lease, how many are leased, and how many are sold. Like, mm-hmm. these are the metrics that we can use Find looking at getting that data and collecting it for one month won't teach you anything. But if you do it over two and a half years, when you have a body of data like that to have a trend, um, this is what CP data is. And so those particular metrics is are put into a dashboard style spreadsheet, and then they calculate um, the different numbers to make uh, an easy way to look at a market within like five minutes. I can tell whether it's a market that I want to go into or not. Yeah. So it's more about a longer term trend about keeping on top of that market. Actually, a question I have is, let's say I want to buy my own commercial property. Um, Mm -hmm. What is the minimum amount of time that I should be spending um, doing some research and due diligence on an area um, before I dive headfirst into it? Well, it's really how long is a piece of string? Did you live there? Do you know the market already? Do you like already understand the market? If you feel like you've got a handle on it, then maybe you do. But if you're going into a market and you've done one day's research, then I'd probably say to, you know, keep on looking and understand what's been happening in that market. Like it's, it's depending on your experience in that market um, would give me the answer. But if you don't know the market, you don't know the market. And if you don't know the market, you don't know what you're buying. Then chances are you're buying an overpriced property. Mm. How, how much um, how much credence do you, do you pay and look at sort of previous sort of sales in, in an area? Uh, a lot, actually, a lot, actually. Like, if it's a, uh, an asset that I'm looking at that is potentially a similar asset, like for like and tenant for tenant with lease for lease, then that could mm. potentially be a very, very good indicator. Um, and like with commercial property, it's it's valued um, is the main idea on how we can actually add value to it. So the real power of commercial property, which is in the next slide, um, is how like it is valued so to understand how to add value you need to first understand how it is valued so this is a really big key of commercial property where the power is in the capitalization rate so if it wasn't traded on a cap rate then commercial property wouldn't be the asset that it is but because commercial property is traded on a cap rate with the income being the driving force of value it's this is the power of commercial property. So every single dollar that you add to income, to net income of that property increases the value. And that's not speculation. That is 100% calc- like you can calculate that. That's how they are valued. And there's no like saying, oh, actually, it's actually valued this. It 100%, if I add value as in add income to the property, the value, the value of the property will go up. It cannot go anywhere else but up. And that's the power of commercial property. Simple as that. Simple as that. It's it's simple. I'll tell you right now, it's a very, very simple game. So so one 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 thing is 
an under-rented asset, right? So let's yep. say, I mean, I, I come across this all the time um, yep. where there's a property that may be like, for instance, the, the owner occupies, I think it's about, I don't, don't quote me on the number, about 65% of the residential market is owner occupiers, or it might even be 70, 80%. I need to double check that number. Do you know 71.285761, isn't it, Joe? Ooh, good. But nice. they're the ones that are kind of driving the value. So if a property has a lease already on it, right, they have a 12 month lease, that mm-hmm. asset will typically sell for less because all of a sudden 70% of the market are not interested in it. It's only investors. Um, so you can actually buy that property that's rented. Typically it'll be under rented. So instead of getting $500 a week, it'll be getting $400 a week. Um, does that thing kind of exist in the in the commercial space where you can just buy a place and say, "Hey, actually, the rent's super low. Um, what do we? How do we? You know, increase it? Let's throw an extra this thousand dollars a month." This on. is this is how simple commercial property is. This is part of the value add formula. So finding under rented property is yeah. literally the best way to add value to commercial property because and this is what i was getting to you joe in that post that i um the the on facebook when you asked how much money how much money have you put in to make this amount of money and so i've seen people find under rented property they've increased the rates over time and this property might need a little bit of work or it could just be like the lease is month to month so all you need to do is redo the lease with the tenant bringing the rate per square meter up to the actual market rate and that could be wildly like huge that could be like thirty dollars a meter and that doesn't sound like much but later on in this webinar i'm going to show you exactly how much 30 increasing the value from thirty dollars per square meter can change the value of the property dramatically and this is really the the best way to do it because it costs you no money to have the knowledge to identify a property that's under rented. It costs you nothing. And like, and then you can just with a stroke of a pen, you can literally add hundreds of thousands of dollars to the property. Um, that's a great yeah. asset to me. That that's a great deal. Like that's, that's a very, very good way to do things. So if you just get good at doing this one thing, finding under rented property there's no limit to the amount, how much money you can make and how much wealth you can have. You've just got to have the knowledge and the vision to be able to see it. How, um, go, how hard is it to find? Someone's jumped in. Under-rented ugly ducklings are the where the real profits live. Mate, I think yeah. you've, you've converted one of them already. That was quick. There's a saying in property, the more problems you can find, the more money you yeah. can make. And that's 100% true. So typically with a commercial property, they're ugly. They're not beautiful. No one's like cares about how it looks, but the ugliest property can be so ridiculously valuable um, because of the the lease that's on it um, that it doesn't matter that it's an ugly duckling as as long as it works for the tenant or the business that you are trying to attract or you've got in there, then it doesn't (laughs) matter if it's a rundown warehouse. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever, um, you know, worked in a warehouse or anything, but these places aren't tidy. They're, they're literally working in them. You know, they've got, uh, you know, forklifts going in and out. I've spent a lot of my years in warehouses, you know, so it's, they're not like beautiful, pristine places like, you know, a a big tall office tower. This could be a, uh, an industrial property that, you know, a a mechanic is using. um, And it could be the ugliest, most rundown junk of a piece of property, 
but it could be worth millions of dollars just because of the lease and the return that you can get from the property. So what, well, what, what are some of the, I was going to ask, what are, what are some of the shortcomings of, of commercial property? Because I, I feel like we're, we're only talk, talking largely oh, here about the, yeah, I, I yeah. think I know the answer, but let's go so there, are, there are lots of shortcomings with commercial property, particularly vacancy. It's the biggest risk with commercial property and it is a real risk. A hundred percent. No one's going to lie about that. Properties can go vacant for a long time if you get it wrong. But yeah. the good thing that happens when it goes vacant is you might have been getting a great return for a long time. So if it goes vacant for six months, um, you can potentially then raise the rates to actually make your property more valuable after you get a tenant. And you can do a little bit of a refurbishment. You could section off a little bit of space to get more rent. There's Six months in a, in, a life, in a life cycle of a commercial property is very, very short. Like with commercial property, you need to have buffers in place. You need to have a strategy mm. of a, you know, a buffer um, to make sure that you can handle the interest repayments because no one has ever lost a, lost a property um, that has you know, huge cash flow. No one's ever gone bankrupt with a property that's actually been cash flowing forever and a day. Um, markets go up and down. Um, but cash flow always remains. So if you're looking at it from that perspective and you're banking cash flow and you've got six months to 12 months of um, you know, interest repayments in your bank and you can have multiple properties too. So if one goes vacant, the other one is supporting the other one. Um, there are lots of different ways to do it, but it, you know, prolonged vacancy is the biggest danger in commercial property. And this is specifically why I like self-storage. It's 100% almost impossible to ever have a completely vacant self-storage facility. The more tenants yeah, makes, you have, the more tenants you say, so I have a hundred, have a, if I have 100 tenants, right? And 10 of them leave, which is a lot. I've still got 90 other tenants to pay the bills. I might have to go down to only 40 tenants to just be breaking even. And that's so ridiculous that you would think that, you know, 60 tenants could move out in one week. It's just, you just it's, it's a way. constant, it's a constant churn of people going in, people going out, people going in. So it really, yeah. the way that I look at it is who is in line next to pay the mortgage. And the biggest risk about commercial property is single tenancy and vacancy. So if you're the next in line to actually pay the mortgage, then maybe that property is a little bit more risky. And that's why for me, self-storage is the asset of choice. Because I have 150, 100, 100, 250 tenants, you know, in line to pay the mortgage for me before it gets to me. Just that, that yeah. for me, removes the risk. Yeah, I like that. Um, one thing <laughs> I need to say, Joe and Andrew, someone's written here, Joe and Andrew's voices sound very similar. So this is Joe, Joe speaking right now. Um, my, my, can we just wheel it back? Because I know there's a lot of people um, in this group that love commercial property. There are also people that are brand new to commercial property. So I saw yep. something here that's talking about cap rates. Um, yep. Can you just break it down? Break it down for us. So for those that don't know, um, what is a cap rate? How do we value commercial property and what does it look like? Yeah. So to understand how to add value to a, a commercial property, you need to first understand how it is valued. So a cap rate is a perceived uh, return and risk in a market that the investors are willing to accept. So say if I'm investing in a capital city, say Sydney, and I'm buying a res uh, industrial property, 
the return on that on that property might be traded at a three cap. So that's like 3% return on the total value of the property. And that's because an investor is perceiving the cap, the capital city of Sydney to be a more sure thing to make sure that they actually will get a return. But if I'm going into a more regional market, I have to get a higher return for the risk that I'm potentially taking in that market. So in terms of a cap rate, it is a reflection of return and risk, a perceived return and risk. It is definitely perceived because a market, particularly agents and investors, will, and definitely in like the commercial boom where we just went through, where interest rates were getting so low, the returns were so good that people were like willing to have sharper cap rates. So that means if a cap rate goes down, the value of the property goes up. It's counterintuitive. And a cap rate goes up, the higher the number, the lower the value is. So it's 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 counterintuitive. It's, it's actually quite hard to get your head around. But if you're going... Like a seesaw. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. yeah so, it's, it's super confusing. Like if I, if I was to explain it um, simply, I guess it would be just, it's dividing the property's yearly income by yep. how much it costs to buy the property. So yeah. if the property makes $50,000 a year and costs um, $500,000 to buy, the cap rate would be 10%. It would be the amount of money that makes divided right. by the 500,000, which would be yep. your 10%. That's so, right. And, it, and a 10 cap would, um, would reflect higher risk in a market. So if I'm say going into like Townsville, I'm going to be demanding a good seven cap for an industrial property there with a decent tenant. If that property was the same and that, tenancy was the same like the lease and you picked it up and you moved it into say brisbane or a sydney you would be asking for like a five cap so that's where if all things are the same the actual geographical place where it is at it determines the risk and the return that the investor has to have to take that risk to go into that market and that's so what, that's um, the thing that thing that i've current trying to getting wrapped my head around sometimes because obviously as the as the rent goes up um like in in a in a in towns for example seven percent cap rate if the rent was to go up then then the cap rate's going to go down so what why wouldn't people why? why wouldn't people just say why wouldn't people just say oh well oh i suppose actually people would pay more because like what what sets that seven percent like why do people well, what, like why if the rate if the income goes up why does the cap rate go down you're talking about yield. Oh, I suppose that's, that's, that's the question. So, like, why, why, does, so why doesn't the... There's, there's a big difference between cap rate and yield. So a cap rate is only used in context of selling, buying and selling. Once you've bought the property and once if you're selling the property, then you're actually getting a yield. So in Australia, unfortunately, agents and investors, they use cap rate and yield hand in hand. But there is a difference to the actual definition of the word. So a capitalization rate is the uh, actual percentage that you're using to uh, divide the net income to come to a value of the price, the price. But then once you own that property, you're getting a yield, a return. So if the income goes up, your yield will go up. But that doesn't mean that that cap rate goes up because the cap rate is the market. It's not the actual yield. So the cap rate is determined yeah. by the investors and people in the market. 
with what they're they're willing to accept as a return, your yield might be through the roof. It could be a 10 cap. But when you go and sell that property, you'd still be selling it at a seven cap. So you would just have huge value in that property because you've increased the income, but you're still selling it at the same market cap rate. That's the big so I suppose, difference. I suppose that was, my, that was my question. Like who actually, like obviously it's supply and demand. Like how many people want to buy a certain asset right. versus what the supply of it is, I imagine. 100%, yeah. So a lot of the times the agent um, will kind of determine what the cap rate is and then they'll get um, you know, offers and you know, expressions of interest from the investors and the investor will then give them an answer whether that cap rate was fair or you know, they're willing to actually you know, go through with it. So like a lot of the time what's been happening is that agents are always wanting to sell property for higher prices. That's their job. So they'll always push the envelope and investors will always push back saying, no, this is what it needs to be. But then when FOMO gets in, in play and there's more like lower interest rates, people then say to themselves, well, I'm actually okay with taking a lower return. And that's what drives capital growth in commercial property. It's not anything to mm. do with like, um, you know, real market forces as in like, um, like residential. It's, it's, it's different to residential. It's, it's your perceived accepted return. Um, so right now, there are less buyers in the markets for commercial property. So theoretically, cap rates will either stay the same or, or soften. And that's a good thing. Like right now, we're actually in a normal market. We've been a crazy, like out of this world boom market for too long. And that's not normal. But having a 5% like interest rate or a 6% a six interest rate on a property is actually more normal than, than, than anything else. Because on average, um, you know, the interest rates have actually been around there over time. So right now is actually the best time. And I'm actually, I, I like right now because now more people are fearful. And when people are fearful, you should be greedy. So there are a lot of properties right now that prior to the interest rates um, rises, um, they would have been getting gobbled up straight away. No chance of ever getting in. But now like um, there are a lot of like six caps, six and a half caps that are being listed. So previously um, when, you know, before the mini boom, um, Trying to get a six cap was hard. If you could get a six cap, you were doing really well for probably about 12 mm. months, to 18 months. Prior to that year, it was a seven cap. If you could get it, you wanted to get a seven cap, people were actually trading things in like a six and a half cap. And it was slowly going down because the perceived um, accepted return mm. was changing. And this is just on average. Like, you know, obviously there are markets within markets that are different. But the perceived accepted return was, was changing. So if the further you go out, like if you look at like some of the old like, um, you know, training material from like James Dawson's course, who I highly recommend, like he's talking about eight caps or nine caps, you know, and like realistically, it's so out of date because it's just you couldn't find that kind of property right now. Um, but like now things are turning um, on different sectors. So there are different sectors that are doing very well, like industrial property is still doing very, very well, although you can have a bit more wiggle room with the pricing now and more better, like you could put in a bit more due diligence time on your days for due diligence um, and still get a, a good look at it. Um, but before it just, you, you, you didn't get a look in. Like if you, if you had any kind of due diligence period and you wanted a six gap, there was no, they'll just move to the next offer. 
Mm. So, well, I, I guess, how low can these caps go? Um, what I was reading a book by George Antone, I think it's called The Wealthy Code or, or, or something like that. And he said, the value of, of commercial real estate really is the spread. The spread between what the capitalization rate is and the yep. uh, the interest rate that you're paying. So if you're paying a 5% interest rate and you're getting a 7% return um, on your cap rate, then you've got the spread. You've got a 2% spread. But when those start to compress, like then you, you're not really making money. What's the point of being involved in, in the project? Um, how low can these things go? That's exactly right. Like we're only doing this to make money. If you can't um, make money with a commercial property deal, then there's no real reason to do it unless there is some huge value add like development or something like that where you can force huge value on the property. And that's what I'm talking about with adding value. I'm forcing value. I'm not speculating. There's absolutely mm. no speculation in this. And I'm coming in with a value-add strategy plan when you're buying the assets. So the big difference between a mum and dad investor and a professional investor, and this is what I've learned from interviewing very uh, many, many um, professional investors on my podcast, is that a professional investor comes in with a plan in place to force value. They recycle the cash and they use the same money to buy a new property while still holding the other property and they build wealth that way. Whereas a mum and dad investor, they buy it with no plan in place, set and, they think mm. it's set and forget, and then there's no real strategy to move on. Um, mm. So it's, it's a big difference in mind shift. Um, and that's why CP data exists. So mum and dad investors can have the tools and, you know, data to be able to find a under rented property, to be able to find a tight um, prop, a market that has really good vacancy or really low vacancy. Um, and this is what, you know, Steve and I have been beating the drum on for a long time. Yeah, I love that. Um, okay, well, let's dive into um, the the next uh, little topic you've got there on the slides. But before we do that, um, let's jump into our sponsor. This live session is sponsored by Scott Agate from Hello House. Scott has created the world's first property negotiation as a service business. So what does that mean? Well, let's think about it. When was the last time you negotiated on anything over $100, let alone a property that is going to be one of the biggest investments of your life? The vendor, they have a trained negotiator on their side in the form of a real estate agent. That's kind of like you stepping into the ring with Mike Tyson after never training a day of boxing in your life. These guys are trained professionals and that's what they do day in and day out. And this is what Hella House does every single day as well. They negotiate on property to get the best buy price from the real estate agents. Scott Agate, he's the expert negotiator. He has been in this industry since 1995. He owned and operated three Bell franchises. Scott was the guy that was teaching these real estate agents all these agent games. He knows all of their tricks. Having him on your side is going to give you a massive unfair advantage and literally save you tens of thousands of dollars. Unlike other ways of purchasing property, Scott's incentives are aligned with you, the buyer, meaning the more money he saves you, the more money he makes, which is what you want. You need to have those incentives aligned. Scott has kindly offered our group a massive discount on the retainer fee for his service. So if you're looking to buy your next home or investment property, click the link below to get in touch. I think we changed that link to the, um, the get buy ready, but maybe I've got the wrong link. But anyway, 
It, there is there is absolute value in that. So to see a value, what is the main value driver in commercial property? I imagine this is for, or is it self storage? Like which which type of value driver are we talking about? <laughs> in, I'm talking for commercial property, um, which is also yeah. self storage is also commercial property. It's just a different class of asset. So the main driver, um, in the main value driver in commercial property is the net income. If you can increase the net income, then you can increase the value. It's literally that simple. So if it's that simple, all you need to do is figure out how to increase the income because every single dollar counts. Like literally, if you can add, say, $5,000 of income, net income to that property, um, I'm going to show you shortly how many, like how much that'll actually like translate into value like it's absolutely mind-boggling how much value you could add by just adding five thousand dollars or even just uh adding thirty dollars to the rate per square meter like and that's not thirty dollars is just a number it could be ten dollars it could be five dollars it could be twenty dollars it's anything adding any dollar to the net income increases the value guaranteed no money no no back money like guaranteed like no questions asked it's just that simple at these value add deals, are we specifically looking for deals that have their lease coming up for a renewal pretty soon? Like no, you, it doesn't have to I, be. I, because if you've got a deal that's got a lease that's you know CPI adjusted over the next five years at a set rate, you probably don't want to add value to a property like that because you wouldn't be able to get your return. So, I mean, how do you think about that? It doesn't have to be a lease that's coming short. It could be a uh, tenancy that's having a market review very, very soon. So not all uh, rate increases are CPI. It could be fixed. Um, but every now and then in your like uh, rate increases, you will have a market review. So that can be good or bad. Because if mm. you bought a property and the rate per square meter is too high, guess what? That actual rate is coming down to the market. Um, so you need to make sure when you're buying a property that the rate per square meter is fair. Um, and what I, what I like to talk about or what I would you know, enforce or talk about is that you should try and not push the envelope so it's way over the market because eventually mm. that is actually going to have to come back. And then you know, you're going to be losing money on the value of the property. And also the tenant will look elsewhere because they'll think, well, I'm getting, you know, I'm paying this here where I can go over to this property. It's exactly the same. And they're only charging me X and it's a lot lower than, you know, what I'm charging here. So being in, being commercial property, the tenant is your partner. If the tenant has lots of success, you will have lots of success and you need to Mm -hmm. make it easy for them to have success in commercial property. So working with them, and I'm not saying like undercutting yourself, it has to be fair, but you don't want to really go crazy and push the envelope envelope like you can in self-storage um, on your commercial property lease. In self-storage, it's different because I'm trying to find the highest paying customer possible and it depends on your need. So if you really need self-storage and there's nowhere else to, to put your stuff and I'm charging you $50 more than the market because you need it, you might still pay it. So self-storage is a lot more cutthroat. A lot more savage where you can just, yeah, yeah, you just, you you get a new replacement person in. So in terms of value add strategies, what are some of those, what are some of the things that drive value? Um, What are some of these strategies? What drives net income more than anything else? Look at this. It's like he's prepared this. (laughs) So what, if, if income is the thing that, 
drives value? What drives net income more than anything else? So I want to jump back to you guys just for a guess. What would you guess the next slide will say? Rent. Rent is going to be okay. fundamental or an interest rate. The net or, income or is the rent. The net income is the rent. So oh. guess again. Well, I feel um, like I've won it already. That's fine. Know. Okay. <laughs> Jeff, what do you got? I was going to say maybe the demand for the for the asset, perhaps from a. Okay, it's a good. It's a good good guess. Both are. I'm not going to say wrong, but just not not correct. So <laughs> the biggest thing that drives the net income is actually the NLA net lettable area. If you can increase the oh, net lettable area or Ooh. raise the rates, you have then increased the net income, which increases value. So say it with me, guys. Increase the NLA to increase the net Extra income to increase the value. That's the flow and effect of increasing NLA. It's literally, This is the simplest thing you could ever think of. Like, this, is, this doesn't happen in residential property. Like, you could put in a great kitchen. You could put in a great bathroom. At the end of the day, the comparables um, are what is going to actually value that property. You can't really calculate it. But if I increase well, I, it, if I increase, you could develop income, it though, couldn't you? So you could increase the um, you could increase the the area that you're renting out separately. Yeah, but that's the fun. That's literally what I was just about to talk to. Is um, I, I have people that are like, you know what? I'm going to build a granny flat, and I'm because yeah. because I need to um, increase the rent. Um, they then have a five hundred thousand dollar asset. They spend two hundred thousand dollars on um, a granny flat, and that gives them a great rental return. But they then expect their property to be revalued at seven hundred thousand dollars because you know I I've got five hundred I spent two hundred but it yep. comes back at six hundred thousand because the yep. banks don't value it as much as that's as right. That. So Crazy. in commercial property, that's where it's different. This is the power mm. of commercial property. The game it's a different game. So different if you game. increase the net little area by a little amount, it doesn't have to be big. Then you're actually going to <laughs> rent that that space out. You're going to get more net income, which increases the value. It's just a flow on effect. It's literally that simple. So if you increase so it's just util- the utilization of the asset, how do I make, there's this big alfresco area at the back. I've got a great little storage area here, but, but it's just, it's just, a you know, it's, it's not being used. So what yep. you're saying is I should be putting more units at the back, which will then give me a more little bit area and allow me to raise the rent. 100%. I want. I want to, oh, sorry. We'll get to that one. But, so, uh, so, so, basically, um, in the simplest form, um, if you have a piece of land or you have a, a property, and there is some space that you're not getting any rent from, like I've got one of my clients um, that is has exactly this this type of asset. So it's an industrial property, and there's a space at the back that neither of the tenants are using. Literally all we're doing, because we can't build on the actual site because of regulations with flood zones and stuff, but literally all we're doing is we're putting a gate around it and we're turning it into hard stand. So we're going to be getting about ten to $15,000 extra per year in net income. And that is a huge value add. So what What's I do is like... Stand? Hard sand is just like an area where people might store stuff. So like no. a lot of businesses might have equipment like a, um, you know, like a little mini tractor thing, like a little dingo or like uh, anything they could put down um, because they don't want to take that home with them, but they might be working 
in a residential area that they need to service. So they'll put it into like um, storage or they might have a gated hard stand um, that they just go in every day and take the equipment out. Um, and that's like just a, the simplest form. Like, do you guys think that it's easy to get a gate constructed? And that adds to your net lettable area. Yeah. And then all you have to do yeah. is rent it out to the tenant. So in terms, now you've got another tenant, which is another source of income. So you've increased the net edible area in terms of actually getting rent out of it. You haven't increased the gross floor area, which is different. The net lettable area, because you're making income from it, is now like an asset to you. And that adds value to the property as well. So like, it's just that easy. I can't like explain it any easier than that form increase the nla increases the net income and it increases the value if you can okay, look at all properties we go. Through now that we're lens, getting somewhere if you can now look at all properties through that lens um you can do very very well as a commercial um property investor and this is, isn't is this taking into account ross, a lease at all this is what ross is asking about here so uh, by, is that what you're saying so you divide you can put it in the hard sand at the back is that dividing the NLA, which increases the net income? Is that what you're talking about or is it different? No, no. So like you have, so like you say, you have a, a property and you have a yard area and the tenants that you have on the property aren't using the yard area. It's not leased to them. It's just dead space that you're yeah. just paying council rates for. Kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. So then, and then this is just one value add driver. This isn't the be all and end all. You could put a shed there. You could do all kinds of stuff, but particularly for this, my, one of my clients um, properties, I basically just had the idea, well, let's just gate it off and rent mm. it out as hard stand. Because as I've been saying, every dollar counts in commercial property. It's valued with a cap rate, which is capitalized from the net income. So if we can increase the net income from increasing the NLA, we increase the value. Well, I think what Ross is talking about here is can dividing the NLA also help with net income? I think what he's meaning is cutting the place up into multiple pieces. Putting a partition down the middle, maybe. Yep. Yep. Yeah, exactly. You've got an office space. Yep. So the next slide, or I'm going through to my top six easiest value add strategies. And that may, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin it, but that may get a sneaky peek in there. Okay. I, so, I listened to your um your podcast where you spoke about like you went from the easiest to the hardest ones. Yeah, yeah. So I've whittled that down again to literally the easiest ones that you know blind Freddy could you know figure out and see himself. So, or Francine. <laughs> All right. So if the main value driver is income and NLA, then how the hell do I add value to commercial property? Well. You guys are in luck because here is my top six <laughs> easiest value add strategies. Seriously, you cannot go wrong. It is literally that easy. I'm, no I'm a little worried when somebody says something. Yeah, like yeah. My, you, my you, you really, you really, you really pumped that up to make me not believe you. But That's good. I want to be good. fooled. That's I want to be That's believed. Good. Come at me. Yeah. Come at me. <laughs> all right. All right. So here we go. So this is Ooh. exactly what I think it was Ross said. So yep. the first one is split the property into multiple tenancies if you have multiple roller doors. So look at think about an industrial warehouse where there are multiple roller doors, there are multiple access points. If you've got one large tenant, so say you have a tenancy that's month to month and you want to move them, um, you know, they don't need that much space. They could possibly do it in a smaller space. 
if you can put up a petition wall, and we're not strata titling this because then you'd have to do all fireproofing and all kinds of stuff. If you just put up a petitioning wall and you reduce the net lettable area, then the rate per square meter that has to be paid to you goes up. So that in turn creates value in the property. And that's a very, very good strategy. And that's actually the hardest strategy on my easiest list. So if you can't do that, like then, you know, you've probably got problems. But so, so what, what, what are some of the things that we need to consider? Like you can't just, you can't just put a wall up. Um, what are some things to consider yeah, when, can. if we are thinking about this strategy, we found a commercial does it have property to be council approved or like what's no, it? not if it's internal and it's not, you're not strata titling it. It doesn't have to be council approved. You could petition off a, a section of a property and rent it out. Um, a hundred percent. Um, you know, with give so, give that a caveat to check with your council, um, council yeah. council permitting, but it is a very very good strategy because that's permitting it, if you tell them. <laughs> you don't have to tell them. Um, but so if in in terms of a commercial property, the larger the space, usually the lower the rate per square meter. So when you're splitting up and okay, dividing yep. into smaller spaces, the rate per square meter goes up which creates more income for you, which creates a huge value add. Um, very, what, very powerful strategy. What are some of the risks of this strategy? What are some of the things we should have for consideration thinking around this one? Risks yeah, like of it. Um, well, I mean, it, there's not much that really comes to my okay. mind because you're, you're putting in another tenant. So you have multiple tenancies, yeah. which is great because then you've got one more person in front of that conga line. Um, that's who's going to pay the mortgage. So that's yeah. a plus. You're getting more rent. Um, the only probably like thing that I would say that could be a risk is that when you're reducing the space, the type of tenant that you will probably attract will probably be um, a lower quality tenant as in like the business will either boom or, or fail. So that tenant might only stay for one or two years. So you might have higher tenancy like turnover, but I couldn't say that hand on heart saying that is actually going to happen. So it really comes down case by case. But if you're looking to add value to the property, then this is an excellent strategy and it doesn't take too much money to actually split up a tenancy, rewrite a few leases and Bob Zirani's mm. brother, you've got value there. Yeah, because one of my considerations would be if you get a little bit greedy, right, and, and a space that you can split into two, you decide to split into three and all of a sudden three people are not interested in it. And neither are two people and you kind yeah. of go too too far, too far gone and you make it too small. So um, what you would do what... is you would, what you do, and this is what, what I do, um, you know, quite a lot is I ring the agent and ask what the demand is for this type of space. If they say to me, oh my God, there's a waiting list. We can never get anyone in in that space. Like if you have one, let me know. Then I'm pretty confident and that's a great like strategy, bringing the space smaller. Um just and literally ring every single agent in the market that's that's like trying to lease these types of properties like the more people you can talk to the better um data the bigger like pool of information you can get the better off you'll be don't ever do like something it's with any property don't do something without first understanding the demand for that type of asset that would just be mm, stupid yeah and are we going to real estate agents, property managers in yep. the commercial space? Are they the same thing? Like, how does that kind of work? They can be the same thing. Property managers are people you want to go to first because they are actually managing the properties and they should know. You'll be able to get a good understanding of the rate per square meter for this type of space as well. 
um, you know, that'd be a good idea. Then you could, you would also go to selling agents um, because they, you know, potentially you could just be splitting this up, putting a tenant, two tenants in, in it instead of one and then flipping it back onto the market and selling it for a huge profit. So you might actually find first the managing agent you're talking to that there's a demand. We could do this. The rate per square meter is going to be this. Their property will then be valued this. Once you actually do that and you have a tenant in place, then you would like after you've already spoken to the selling agent, you would say, okay, well, I've done this. I've got this asset with these leases, with these tenants. How much mm. can I get for it? Is there demand for that? And if there is and you want to sell the property, um, then great. Or you might want to refinance it. Um, great too. Mm. So there's not too much downside um, with this strategy if you're smart. Like, and you don't really yeah, need to be it. too smart to figure it out. So love we'll it. go What's number on two? to number two. So close in an open space to create more NLA and start charging rent for it. So you can see there is a is it, is it the hard theme. Is it the hard uh, yard thing? Or? This is, yeah. So it could be a hard stand. It could be anything. So I actually saw this uh, strategy um, done at my um, CrossFit gym. So they had a roller door at the front and a roller door going through to this backyard that was totally unusable. It was totally um, not undercover or anything. And all they did was they already had the one wall there with an opening like a roller door. And they just put three walls and a roof up. And then, hey, Bob, you know, hey, you know, it's, it's NLA that they need to charge for. So they literally created about a hundred square meters of net letable area. Who did, um, who did they rent it to though? Like who's renting that? Like just a... the, the gym was the gym tenant is renting it and the gym tenant yeah. paid for it because he needed more space in the property. Yeah. So he's added value to the owner's property. And now that night right now uh, you can't okay. turn around and go, okay, well now you've like paid for the whole, like closing this space off. Now I'm going to charge you more rent. Like that'd be really, really like horrible as the, the landlord. So once that gym tenant goes, then the next tenant that comes in, then they'll charge them for that NLA. And that's, if you went like, to sell it or whatever, you'd be able to, yeah, you'd, you'd increase definitely. the, you would. Yeah. The, Cause you could say like, look, this person's only um, leasing this part. They're not leasing that part, but now it's been closed in literally a hundred mm-hmm. square meters could be a million dollars of value. Like literally. Um, you know, so yeah. it's a huge, and it only costs the, it costs the, the actual tenant about $30,000 to close in with some, you know, sheet metal and a roof and that's it. Um, pretty, pretty simple. And, um, yeah, it's a very, very good strategy if you can find this you, type of property. Yeah. But if you buy one of these, one of these gym, like you buy it, a lot of the like CrossFit gyms where I live in the, um, in Cronulla, they've got them in the industrial estate where you yeah. can do these simple basic value adds. Hey, one, one place is vacant, put a little extension out, add that value to it, and then try and get your hot hands on one of these tenants that, that are able to do it and yeah. charge yeah, I love extra it. money. Spend yeah, that it's 30 just, grand up front yourself. Yeah, it's just finding a, a space that has an unused rear yard or unused side yard or something. And this is really, really common. Like, so in like, any type of commercial property, um, usually there's some, like a freehold property, usually there's a little bit of space somewhere around the property that can potentially be used or closed in or, or something like that. And it's just having the eye to, to actually see it and, and utilize it. Um, James Dawson famously um, had a retail property in Bondi um, and he actually got manufactured um, apartments um, to be built like built in a um, 
a factory and he made apartments and just connected it to the top of the retail building in Bondi. Like it was just airspace that wasn't being used. So your roof is also um, gross floor area or net letable area that could potentially be utilized. So like, mm. I don't know the numbers on that, but you could imagine, um, you know, putting four Bondi. apartments yeah, in Bondi, how much value that would have added. And it was manufactured like units that, you know, wouldn't have cost, you know, more than $800,000 to actually, you know, manufacture, put together, do a whole crane operation and stuff. It was a big, big deal. Um, this was years ago, years ago. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's things like that. It's just having the, the, the vision to be able to see things like that. Um, that can create huge, huge wealth and huge value. 100%. Number three. three, what do we got? All right. So add a shed or a garage to the underutilized hard stand, creating more in LA and start charging rent for it. So can you see a pattern here? It's about creating more in LA. If you can fix and solve this problem, you can add huge value, net income and value to the commercial property. So think about like, putting in a shed or a garage how hard do you reckon that is to develop a shed a single shed onto like a freehold property is it yeah is it i feel hard? like the word develop is is probably a bit of a stretch i feel like exactly it's, it's exactly lego set yeah so yeah. like is is putting a Never shed put or a shed. garage on a freehold industrial property would you say that was easier than renovating a kitchen or renovating a bathroom which one would be harder which one would cost more like realistically mm. Yeah, which one has more basketball? So the bathroom would cost more. So the thing, in turn, the the shed would be easier because it's just a shed. All you have to do is get approval from council, and you could probably put it in yourself. Like it's not a big thing, and all you have to do is then charge, start charging rent for it. So that could be another tenant. That could be uh, the same tenant that need more space. So with like um, warehouse property. A lot of the tenants they need more space, they need more storage space. So you could just be increasing the 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 rent that they're already giving you. So it's it's a very very good strategy as well. Very very easy to do. Yeah, that makes perfect right. sense. Okay, next one, number four. Add multiple, multiple shed. sheds to an underutilized <laughs> oh, like area three. along yeah. a boundary, self storage style, and have multiple tenants paying you each month. Now, obviously, this is a better than the number three because you have multiple tenants, literally like boundary areas, um, any kind of underutilized area where you could potentially put three, four, five, six sheds um, could be a huge value add. Like if you're looking at like a six by three shed, um, you know, on average, like that would probably return about three fifty to four hundred dollars per month per shed. Um, Forget so the yeah, it's this is like just that's what I'm saying. It's like I'm not trying to change anyone's mind. I'm just purely saying why I like commercial property, and hopefully, um, people can just understand this is pretty easy. Like it's just numbers and maths. If you can do basic maths, you can do you can do commercial property. You can be a commercial property, a successful commercial property investor, and it's a lifestyle asset. So if I can get a commercial property and have that returning a hundred k to me per year net, like I could live off that. Like, well, one of my, I think, I think that term lifestyle asset. Yeah. Well, the thing, yeah, I'm kind of confused about the the term lifestyle asset as well. Because it gives me a lifestyle asset if you go and buy an acreage or something, or you go and buy a bloody front, a service department in, in, on the service paradise. So that's a lifestyle asset to me. But I see the, the, the context you're using lifestyle asset here. It creates the ability to live your own lifestyle. 
That's right. So I'm not talking mm. about what what you're talking about. I'm talking about an asset That's that gives you the ability to have ultimate goal, the ultimate like live life on mm. your terms and pay you to own it. Um, yeah. So to me, that's a lifestyle asset where it actually pays for my lifestyle. That's the thing I think quite find quite interesting about commercial is that um, you can have like the vacancies are larger. It does cost more money if you have a vacancy and it does take longer to fulfill these vacancies. But if you're making 40 grand a year and you can do that for the first year, two years, You've then got 80 grand in the kitty that just sits there. Yep. And let's say you do have a six month vacancy. So that's 20 grand. You just don't spend all of that money. You just keep it in the account ready to go. And if there is a vacancy, you just take it out of that money. Then six months later, you get it rented. And then all of a sudden you're making your 40 grand again. Yeah, it's, that's um, right. And and with a commercial property, it has a higher return, right? So it can weather a higher interest rate. So it gives you more flexibility and mm-hmm. um, lower risk of complete like lack of income. So a commercial property, if it's set up pro- if it's set up properly from when you're purchasing it, it can weather about an eight percent interest rate. Um, that's because a commercial property has a larger deposit that's put down. So you're actually only say paying interest on 60% of the value and the 40% gap is actually giving you that return. Um, so if I have actually have a uh, inflation risk analyzer that people can go and download from my website. Um, it's actually my DIY cash flow kit. You get three, um, you get three uh, spreadsheets, your value add spreadsheet, a cash flow calculator and an inflation risk analyzer. And you can see this for yourself. Like if you just go up there and put up all your details in, um, for your property, you can see how high the interest rates can go before you're underwater with that property. And it's literally like 8% interest. If the property is leveraged with about a 60 to 70% LVR, um, it, it, it just, you know, you could still be making $5,000 a, a year on that property um, if Ridiculous. interest rates go crazy high. Um, so. what, one of the one of the questions that's popped up, it says, looks like I'm putting a 20-foot container on the side of my shed to up the rents. Now, it's, it's, it's a good one. It's funny. Um, but but my question is, like, how do you think about the business? Like, is there a, a way to think about the businesses and the demographics of the people that are coming to your area as well? Because, I mean, this person is making a joke by putting a 20-foot container up there. But really, you have to know the people and the businesses that are interested in that area, because that 20 foot container might actually work perfectly for one demographic. Um, but then you do it on your shed. It's not going to do It's not going to do a thing. You're not going to add that value. So how important is it to understand businesses and things like that? It is very, very important. And that, that remark, if, if it was meant as a joke, it's actually not funny because it's actually a legitimate way to make cash flow. Like literally, <laughs> like it's that's a very, very good way to do it. Um, you know, Maybe depending. It so, so it was it's it, it might be funny, but it literally is a great way to add cash flow. Now, in terms of fixed assets, so if you're just putting a container in, then that doesn't always translate to added value with commercial property. It can for self-storage when it's done at mass. Right, and it's more of a business because when you when they're valuing self storage, it's also an enterprise value that they're looking at. So it's the business that you're buying into. So if there's a hundred uh, like containers on a property, then they'll value that with a return as in an EBITDA for the business. So that can be a great strategy with a commercial property. It's better to have a fixed structure, and that's why I left the container 
out of the top six list because you can guarantee extra value whether it's a fixed asset and you're renting that out with a container. It can happen, but I wouldn't bet on it. So like there are a few other different ways that you can add value to commercial property that I have left out that are more novel, um, like adding in a digital sign. That's a very, very good way to add income to the property if you're on a main road. But then again, that doesn't always translate to added value. And that's why I left it off this list. And then another one is also a cell tower. So putting on a cell tower, if you have the opportunity, can be a huge value add. But because like the cell tower companies have a specific need and there's only so many properties they can do that with, it's very you're very, very lucky if you, you have the property that they need to do that. Um, but yeah, it's just sense. not it's just not the things in this my top six list are the easiest value add strategies that you can definitely do. You're not guessing, you're not speculating, you're not waiting for someone to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, I want to put a cell tower on your on your property. These are things that are actionable that the the audience can go and do today and start looking for. Mm-hmm. So right. number five. Ha- what, what, are, what are some of the things I need to be looking out for? Because the way I think about commercial property is that it doesn't transact as much as residential. Residential is constantly transacting and flowing, yeah. whereas commercial, it's kind of like older money. And I'm thinking that these people, like these older people, have been getting a great cash flow. They've already got debt debt free, they're income free. They don't really care about adding an extra shed to juice the lemon as you know, juice the juice as much as possible because they've already they've already won the game. So you can buy those type of properties and and add value to them. Like, what are some of the things that I should be looking out for from an asset perspective? Like, what 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 kind of deals should I? Oh, actually, gosh, that is underutilized. Um, are there any things that when you're scrolling through real estate that you say, yeah, that's mine. I, I can yeah. see some value so there. So you need to be choose. looking for like spaces that ha- are underutilized. They're not being yeah. used properly or you can add something in and you need to be looking for um, under-rented properties. So it's being rented for a lower than market rate per square meter. This is what this whole presentation is about. Just finding underutilized property and then you being the active investor um, getting in there, getting your hands dirty and figuring out the strategy and then putting a small little strategy in space in, in place that could potentially only make you $5,000 of net income per month. But that can actually result in like $50,000 of added value to the property. So it's like a huge, like a huge return for your money. And I'm going to be able to show you that and calculate that after we finish these slides. So Ooh. don't leave. You will be able to see this in real time um, in CP data when I show you the value add calculator. So What's number five. N- number five is add a mezzanine. Seriously, it's that freaking simple. <laughs> a mezzanine is literally one of the best value add strategies that you can actually find because all you're looking for is a property that has a high ceiling and has the room to put in a mezzanine. So if you're what looking at a mezzanine, a mezzanine is a level in a like property that is potentially used for storage or it could be used for office. Um, it's just usually a timber structure um, could be, you know, a hundred hundred square meters to, you know, 20 square meters. It could be anything, um, but it's usually very, very low cost to put in. You do need to go through council to get it done. You can have a very illegal mezzanines, which if it's a legal mezzanine, and you try and get it valued, 
then they won't count that net lettable area. But the essence of it is you're creating a mezzanine that's creating more net lettable area, that's creating more income, and that's creating value. It's a very, very simple strategy, and it's a very, very good strategy that a lot of professional investors do. And you can do this not only on a freehold property, but a strata title property as well. And that's why I like it because a lot of people that are probably already there. And a lot of people that are probably listening to this are probably going to be buying lower value property and it might be a strata type warehouse. So you could still execute this strategy on that type of um, investment. Just um, cautious of of time here. So I do want to kind of tear through some of these and we're at number six, obviously. So we're not far gone. Um, What is number six? All right. Number six is identify under-rented property and raise the damn rates. So (laughs) this is what we've been talking about the whole time. If you can just identify under-rented property, that's the rate per square meter that you're charging your tenant then you can potentially increase the rates for no money of your own putting in and you're literally creating value with just your pen. And that it's literally that simple. Mm. What are your thoughts about buying a commercial property that is not rented? So you're, you're going even more crazier there when there's no rent coming in whatsoever. So the cap rate, I imagine well, there's no, it's not calculated on cap rate. It's, this is what the assets worth. Yeah. Well, that is more of an advanced strategy and that's why I left it off this list. So right. um, when I did my 13 ways to add value to industrial property in my podcast, that was one of the strategies because a lot of investors do that. So they'll buy a, a vacant property, which they'll have to pay GST on. That's the very big downside of buying vacant um, commercial property is then it's not considered a going concern. It's actually now um, triggers GST. Um, so then you then you'll be buying that at a discount, right? So what they'll mm. do with that is when they're valuing it, the value will look at it and they'll they'll look at how it could be rented. What could the potential right. cap um, rate in, income be? Um, and then what you should try and do is try and get that at a discount, and then the effort going to get a tenant in there and then get a better lease on that property, that's your value add. It's a very, very good strategy, but you need to have uh, reserves and buffers in place um, to do that. And it's a more advanced strategy for an investor that's further along their path because they need more money to do that because you could, if you get it wrong, have a long period of vacancy as well. Um, great, Great way to do it. Many people do it, but I wouldn't recommend it for the type of you know audience that we're probably speaking to now. That's starting out. Mm. Interesting. Okay. All right. That's the end. The end. That's the end. All right. So if you guys actually do want to jump on and get my DIY cash flow kit, you can go to that website, www.andrewbean.com.au. But now we want to move on to the next part of the, uh, the live webinar, which is going through to CP data. And this is where all the magic happens. And I'll be able to show you the actual uh, returns and the value add strategy that we, um, we can do. So, this is what CP data looks like. Um, it's one of those uh, things that it makes a lot of sense to me um, because I understand numbers. It takes into account you already knowing and understanding what commercial property is. 
Do you want to um, command you... plus it a couple of times? Just zoom in because it's quite hard to oh, see. We can, yep. we can see you're in. Yeah, there, you you see now? there we go. So yeah, yeah. it's one of these things. It's it's actually goes down to the location. It doesn't go down to the address level like your core logic or your price finder. So it's not that type of tool. But what CP data does is it break it takes in um, commercial property data Australia wide for many many markets. You know we've got plenty of markets here that. Lots All of people the would, yeah, most of the markets. Um, and then it breaks it down into the three main sectors. And this is what the other platforms like CoreLogic and, and PriceFinder don't do. They don't differentiate between the different sectors. So um, we could do that obviously in retail, office and industrial. And this is able to give us proper data that you can use. And it's not data like a... Um, CBRE would give you something like that where they're talking about really large investment portfolios and things like that. Um, this is like the whole market. So it's everything. There's no punches, no manipulation of data. If it's good, it's bad. It's in there. It doesn't matter. So to well, me hang on. Is this a good market? Industrial, four sales transactions and there's 48 for sale. Yeah. So it's 3.1% stock on hand. So if you're looking at a stock on hand percentage, this is 3.1. So this is only March. So the first part of CP data only goes to um, the actual date, which is the previous month. And you can change that, um, you know, whatever you want to, to, to actually look at. But then if you go down, we can see the trending graph. So this is trending graph for retail. So in March, there was three transactions for retail. There was in February, there was one in January, there was five. So you can see what's happening in a market over a long period of time, 12 months. So you could see how many are for sale in, in May, 2022. Well, and so my question, my question to this is what's happening to all of those deals we've got three, six, seven, five, but then we have 30 listed 37. So they're just dropping the, like none they stay there or they, they, they go on and off um, the market. It mm. just really depends. So like, you know, you might have a constant, you know, on average about 35 properties here, but only ever a few will get transacted. Like not all properties get transacted that are on the market. Some stay mm. on there for months, 12 months, two years. Like yeah. commercial property is different in a sense. Like if you've got it wrong, why would anyone buy that asset? So, you know, we can go through, you know, office okay. and we can go through industrial and you can see where the listed stock on hand, and this is the sales data. Um, it's you know, flows through. So you can see there's been a steady stock on hand of 29 to 3.1% over the last 12 months, right? And then if you want to compare the sectors, this is what this graph's for. So we compare the sectors and that's a little bit harder to understand. But if we go into up here, see how you've got a cap rate range here. So what we do is this is like, this data is really hard to collect. Like this is all done by hand. It takes me, it takes me and my team a month to collect it. And then once we post it at the end of the month, we have to start again for the next month straight away. Like it's, it's, this is really time consuming to do. So painting like, the golden gate bridge. Sorry. Get, painting the golden gate bridge. Yeah. And what we do is we give a cap rate range because there are so many different types of assets. You can't like have them all listed here. So we have to put all of retail and all office and all of industrial into the same like range. So if you're looking at like industrial in, um, we're in Newcastle, I think. So on the low end, um, great properties there, like A-grade properties with fantastic leases, um, are they're showing signs of it's been trading at a 4.7%. So that's a 4.7 cap 
um, return on your money. And on the high side, that's actually 7.71%. So the 7.75%, sorry, might be a property that's really ugly. It has like bad lease. Uh, it needs work. Um, so there's a range there. So if you find an asset and say like you, you have to determine where it is on this cap rate range and you could say, oh, hang on, they're charged, they're, they're asking a four cap for this property. That's really sharp. Like that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. There's no way there should be a four cap. So you can go back to the agent and say, look, no, like nothing's trading at that four cap right now for industrial. Maybe we should be more of a five or a six cap. Like, you know, so it just gives you the, the tools and the data to understand where you are in your market. So if we go over to like, say leasing, this is where it really gets exciting because I we give you a rate per square meter guide, like a range. Wow. So say this is like this is really hard. Like this is really That's hard. To massive, massive range for retail. One hundred and thirty dollars yeah. to twelve hundred dollars. Yeah. So it's a huge. It's just really, really hard to to get the data because you can't just go somewhere and this is like isn't like a data dump that we like you know pay for and we get. We have to collect this by hand every single market. And then getting the cap rate range is a whole different ballgame again, where we have to call every single agent in the market and then use that information to correlate with the data that we already have, like listed and um, sold properties, and make sure that the, um, the, the ranges that we've got align with what's happening in the market at any one time. So if you're finding, say, an industrial property, and if we go to the, um, the value add calculator here, can you guys see that okay? Zoom in a bit more. I can't zoom in anymore with that. I can't zoom in with the calculator without showing everything. Oh, uh, can it right? No, it won't work. Okay. Trust me, it won't work. So let's pretend that we bought this property for a million bucks and we're getting uh, $60,000 of net income and it's the net lettable area on the property is 500 square meters. So it's a pretty big warehouse. Um, the market cap rate, uh, sorry, the market rate per square meter is $120 that we're paid. But we can see here that the industrial rate like range is $85 to $400. So maybe this property like needs a little bit of TLC, um, you know, or the, the tenants on a short lease, and then we're going to re-tenant it. So we might be able to push this up by say $30 to $150 per square meter. And like, it's only $30, like what's really that going to make a big difference in the scheme of things. So the market isn't changing. The market cap rate isn't changing. So we bought it at a six cap. We're going to be valuing it at a six cap. But the only thing that's changing is we're going to change the rate per square meter to $150. And I'll show you the magic that happens. All I'm doing is $30 extra and I've created $250,000 of equity in that property because I've raised the rate $30. Is mm. your mind blown? Mm. Is that Thank what you. happens when your mind is blown? That noise? I can't see. <laughs> I've, I've switched off. Yeah, I'm, I'm cooked. To be honest. I'm done. can't see. So... If you want to make money in commercial property, what you got to do is raise the rents. Yep. Increase the NLA. Increase Increase the the NLA. Increase the NLA, increases the income, increases the value. 
What else? That's it. What else do we have to do? Well, what you got to look for under-rented, under-rented property, like I've said, um, the whole way yeah. through. It's been a common theme, under-rented property. And, you know, you don't have to use CP data. You can figure this out yourself. It just takes yeah. way more time. So to be able to figure this out yourself, you're going to have to put a week of phone calls in to talk all these agents and understand where you are in the market, whether it's a low rate. The reason the CP data exists is it gives you the tools to do it in five seconds. So like it. we've done, we've done all the hard work for you, um, you know, but by all means, you know, get your hands dirty and get in there and start making calls yourself and you can really find some great deals out there. You just need to have the knowledge and the understanding of what you're looking for. There was a great question that up. anyone else that has a question, we'll jump into question time right now. Um, here's a great question by Ross. What is an acceptable and common due diligence period when you're looking at a, at a commercial property? So prior to the interest rates going up, um, depending on the asset, if you had any due diligence period in there, you would have got knocked back. Um, I know Steve was uh, putting seven days on his contracts um, for a very long time, even 14 days, um, and that was tight. Um, right now, 21 days, that's business days, um, is a pretty good amount of time where you should be able to get your building in pest, your, your valuation done, and all your other lease, checking the lease and stuff done within that 21 day business days. So it's a big difference between just saying 21 days because that's calendar days. If you say 21 business days, you're actually getting heaps, heaps more time, yeah, which is really the, the, the words actually really change. Um, just make you know, sure you read the damn contract. Just make sure you read the contract, and the contract is the right word rather than yeah. They've well, made the right yeah. Because yeah, when you're putting in a, an agent, you can say 21 yeah. business days, and then they write 21 days. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is this is actually one of my um my my tips is that what you want to do is when you're putting in your offer, you know how you'll just put in an offer to the agent, and then they'll like write out the contract and send it to your solicitor. While you're sending the offer to the agent, while it's still like it, once it gets accepted, you should send your offer letter to your solicitor too, so they can understand and and marry up are the are the terms and conditions that you've um, negotiated and got accepted exactly the same. And going further, one more step on this, you can have the vendor or the agent ask the vendor to print it out, sign it, and send it back to you with your terms and condition on it. And then when their solicitor says, hang on, no, we, we, we wanted calendar days, not business days. Then you just hold it up and say, hang on, I've got the you know signed copy here, what the vendor signed, and you can clearly see it says business days. So you can kind of mitigate, mitigate your risk there. Um, but definitely having the agent, the, your solicitor, giving them a copy of your terms and conditions that you had accepted because agents will take that word out of there. They're very cheeky like that, you know, so... More often than not, they will. Yeah, they want to get paid their commission. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, are there uh, so is is days on market important from um, a commercial commercial standpoint? Like, do you see a tightening, like in, in the residential space, you see a tightening of of days on market being a, an important metric that that tells you that people are soaking up these properties. Is that something that's interesting in um, commercial or, or it's it not, it's, as much? it's not as relevant um, in terms of like commercial property because commercial property can take a while to transact. So it's not usually a 42 day contract. It could be longer than that um, because financing on a commercial property is, is usually a lot more difficult um, because the, they're not only assessing you as the, the borrower, they also have to assess the asset in its, its own rights. So to make sure the asset stacks up 
in more than one way, like not just the income, but the location as well. So a commercial contract can take longer to transact. So in theory, then it will look like it's a longer days on market. So it's not something that like I track or anything. Um, you can noticeably see when markets get, and when properties get taken uh, quickly, um, but it's not as prominent as a, as a metric to look at in commercial property as it is in residential property. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Well, if anyone has any more questions, there's been a whole heap of banter thrown around. I'm just kind of looking for the actual questions. Um, I mean, this, I think, what I think we're this, one, this about... one's a good one. I like this one. When, when, what does a, what does up, a tenant um, who is late miss payments do to your value? Sorry, I missed that, mate. What does a tenant that's late miss payments? Yeah, do, do for your value. value. If you jump on crash. jump on the other page, you'll see our screen. Oh yeah. Um. So in terms of like, it depends how late. So you once there's uh, you have a late um, payment, you put in a um, you know letter of notice with your not a letter a notice from your solicitor or your your rental agent, um, and it doesn't hugely affect the property value unless they are not you're losing the tenant. So if you're, they're not going to pay and then you lose the tenant and then you have no tenant and you try and revalue or sell it, then that does change the value. But mm-hmm. in terms of little squabbles between month to month of um, you know, getting your actual income, the only time that really can have an effect is like when, say, you're selling the property and the person that is doing the due diligence will look at the rental ledger and they'll see that they're always late so they can see that they're a bad tenant. So if you have a bad tenant, that might put the buyer, the purchaser off mm-hmm. buying that type of property because you're inheriting a problem. Um, so in terms of like value from a bank though, unless they're not paying you at all and you're losing that tenant and then, then, then it's vacant, then it doesn't have a huge effect. Um, but obviously you want to get paid and you're doing this to make money. So you want to try and make sure that during your due diligence, you can see that they're paying on time every single month and they're a good tenant to have. Like in self-storage, um, you inherit a lot of bad tenants uh, a lot yeah, of the time man. because the business that you're buying has been poorly managed and they've trained them to be a bad tenant. So your job is to put processes and business like um, processes in place that train them to be a good paying on time tenant. Um, and, and that's the difference between like self-storage and, and commercial property. Unreal. Yeah. Well, we've done an awesome session on the self-storage side of things um, with you, and I still want to dive deep, deeper into it because I think there's so many op- opportunities there. Um, if anyone has any more questions, th- throw them in now. But um, uh, where, Andrew, can can people learn more about you? Um, where can they they get this? This hasn't been enough. Today has not been enough for them. <laughs> they want to un- understand the commercial world a little bit better. They want to understand it simply. Um, how do people learn about you? Yeah, so I've got a few websites. You can go to commercialpropertyshow.com.au. That's the podcast website. You can you know, jump on to um, anywhere where you get your podcast, type in commercial property, and you know, the commercial property show will be the first one that'll pop up. Um, you can also go to my personal uh, website, which is andrewbean.com.au. And if you want to check out CP Data, you can go to commercialpropertydata.com au so it's it's all about commercial property and property and everything so i'm very very aligned with all everything i do and um you know 
thanks for having me on the show. I've really enjoyed, uh, you know, being here, guys, and just want to uh, commend you both with the massive effort that it takes to create content like this every single week in and week out. So hats off to you guys for putting in a massive effort because I know being a content creator myself, how difficult it is. Um, and, you know, you guys are doing it really well. Thanks. Well, thanks. Mate. I mean, you um, did a lot of the work. You do. You did a lot of the work today, <laughs> mate. So uh, I appreciate you. Um, we've got a little. We've got a little. Um, a cheeky question that's coming here. How much is CP data, and are there levels of subscription? Uh, yeah. So CP data is eighty nine dollars per month. Um, you know, you can jump in and do a seven day free trial. Um, no questions asked. Um, and if you, you know, let me know that you're an Oz property listener, then I can, you know, give you. Uh, access to all locations because usually in that seven-day trial you only get access to one location so it gives you a little slice of data but if you're an OzProp listener um, let me know and I'll give you access to every single location so theoretically you can get your data and you know move on but I'm not really it I made it for myself like it's it's just added bonus to be able to get a little bit of money from it like a little source of income but you know if it can help someone in any kind of way um, then that's really what it was created for like it's and if you are going to join CP data, you need a Google email account. That's the biggest constraint that it has. It's it's yeah. created with Google software. So you need oh. a Gmail. So sign up with a Google Gmail and that'll make the whole process a lot easier. Um, because if you don't, I'm going to have to get a, a Google email off you. But um, I got Google you know, Sheets um, cash flow calculator show. It's done through um, Google oh, yeah. uh, Viewer, like uh, Looker. It, called, it used to be called, um, oh, I can't remember the, the, what it used to be called to change names but the dashboard style is what it is it's just for basically businesses to understand metrics through a dashboard style and i was able to create the platform through that um, because creating like a platform like cp data requires is like a huge investment of you know time building it from scratch so i had to build it in the most economical way which was using off-the-shelf um you know software and that was that was the easiest way to do it um, with at least a lot of capital invested. So need a Love Google that. email account. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. And also 89 bucks. I thought you were going to say like like 800 bucks a month. Like <laughs> at the end of the day, if you're buying a commercial property, we're talking like $89 is, yeah, okay, it's nothing. Yeah, so like literally the information on that platform could make you millions. Like if you just understand the rate per square meter, um, and you're paying $89 to get it, or even you're just going in the free trial, um, you know, that could be hugely wildly, um, advantageous to you. So yeah, I mean, I probably Love should this. raise, raise the prices, but, um, yeah, we'll just leave great, great are, comment you know. here. It says great content tonight, reinforcing what we're already doing. I'm looking for a container right now. And I think that's half of it, right? Like People are already out there doing this kind of stuff, but there's not this type of content where people are talking about how do you actually do it? And then you realize, yep. no, no, it is this simple. This is exactly how you do it. And this is how it can be done. So yeah, guys, good, yep. good luck. With, um, good I'll luck just with say to that, that Facebook user, be wary of buying containers from Facebook. There are a lot of scams for containers. Literally, there are a lot of scams for containers on Facebook. So make sure you're buying it from a reputable like container provider because there are wow. countless people that have been scammed. So one of uh, my other projects, my client projects, we're building a little um, self-storage mini facility. So we're splitting up. Um, we're buying five containers. We're splitting it up in half, like half of them in the middle, and we're putting roller doors on each side. So we've got five containers, 10 spaces, and I 
we're getting this from a, a reputable um, container provider um, near the location. And he told me, um, yeah, people are actually coming to me and saying, I've ordered containers from you. When can I pick them up? And the guy's like, oh, you never ordered from me. Like, he's like, yeah, I ordered wow. online, like through Facebook. Because people are saying that they, they are that business. And then when they go to get the actual container, pick it up, there's never any order and they've just lost, you know, a lot of money. So a container can cost, yeah, a container can cost, a 20-foot container can cost easily $5,000. A 40-foot container can run you like 8K. So mm. like, you know, when you're buying, we were looking at buying like 30 of them. So it's a lot of money. Wow. Unreal. Make sure you, make sure you speak to people and do, do all that sort of due diligence on the business as well. And speak to yeah. the actual. Jump, jump on the phone. Get, yeah, get dialing. Jump on the yeah. phone. Jump on, jump on the platform. Um, thank you very much, Andrew Bean. This has been a very um, insightful episode. It's all about value. Add. No one, I haven't heard anyone speaking about commercial value. Add, so thank you very much for jumping on, mate. That was, that was epic. Thanks very much. No worries, mate. I promise that I blow your minds, and I hopefully I did. So, a commercial <laughs> <You did>. property. <laughs> See you guys. Have a good See one. Guys. See you guys. We thank will you. Catch you. Hear more interviews and share your story with some of Australia's top property experts and commentators now by joining the Oz Property Investors Facebook group with over 25,000 property investors so we can all become better property investors together. Just a quick reminder that anything we covered on this podcast is not considered as financial advice. This is general information only. You need to go and speak with your qualified professionals to understand your unique circumstances as this is general advice only. If you got any value out of this podcast, feel free to recommend us to your friends and leave us a review. Thank you very much for listening and have a fantastic day. Let's go buy property.